right, good morning. Good to be together. Hey, grab a Bible uh, if you've got one or, you know, turn your Bible on or whatever you got to do. Just get to the Gospel of Matthew, first book of the New Testament. Get to Matthew chapter 9. That's where we're going to be studying this morning, Matthew chapter 9. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 35 through 38, all right? The title of the message this morning is, The Harvest is Plentiful, but the Laborers Are Few. Perhaps you've heard that before, right? The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. We're doing a series for a few weeks on prayer. We're talking about prayer. All right. Um, it, there's a verse in the New Testament where Jesus walks into the temple during his life, his earthly ministry. He walks into the temple and, and they're like doing all the wrong things. And what does he do? He, he flips over the tables. He is righteously angry. And he says, you guys, the house of God is to be a house of prayer. And you've turned it into a den of robbers. That's what Jesus says in that, in that instance. And so the, the series we're doing is short, a few weeks, but, but to be a house of prayer. Not just this, not just Sunday mornings, not just a gathering like this to be praying together, but really as the people of God that we remember to pray. We have needs. You have needs. We have needs for healing. We have needs for relationships. We have needs that, that we long to see God meet in our lives. And I know that. And, and our church has needs, right? Every church has needs. We need people to serve. We need leaders. We need people to disciple people. There's always needs in the church. Where else is there needs? You know, in the world. There's such great need in our city and in the world. So there are great needs in the heart of this few weeks of talking about house of prayer is that we not forget. Listen, here's what we forget. We forget to pray. We seek to meet our needs. We seek to meet the needs in our church. We seek to meet the needs of the world. But we forget to pray. And so, so this morning, we're continuing looking at that. The harvest is plentiful, but there's a need. What is it? The labors are few. So let me read to you Matthew 9, 35 through 38. I'm going to pray and we're going to study uh, three points from this passage this morning. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Bow with me, if you will. We're going to pray and ask God to speak to our minds and our hearts by his word, okay? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for gathering us this morning. God, we're excited to be here. Uh, we're, we're thankful that we can see each other, that we can have some fellowship today, uh, that we can greet one another, that we can enjoy, even after the service, food and a meal together. God, we pray that you would fill us with your word even now. Pray that you would encourage and challenge us, Lord, that you would draw our hearts to the way of Christ. 
that we would see our Savior so clearly this morning, that we would see, Jesus, that you are our good shepherd. That we would see what you're calling us to, God, that you're calling us to be in the field laboring. And so God, do what really only you can do this morning. And work in our hearts and work in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. The first point from verse 35 is that we need to understand and aim for the ministry of Jesus. First understand and then aim for the ministry of Jesus. Really coming right from verse 35, I want to read it to you again uh, real quick here. It says, and Jesus went, do you see it there? Throughout all the cities and villages. So he went everywhere for all people. He, he went downtown. He went to Fuquay. All the cities, all the villages. He went to Wilson. He went everywhere. Teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. The point here, again, is to understand and aim for the ministry of Jesus. That's what God wants us to do. I think to really appreciate verse 35, it's helpful to know and understand where we are in the Gospel of Matthew. So think of it this way, all right? So just real quickly, I want to just, just tell you where we are in Matthew's Gospel. In chapters 1 through 4 of Matthew, think of it like this. like It's, it's, the, it's the introduction, right? You've got chapter 1 as a genealogy. You've got Christmas. You've got the Christmas story right there in Matthew 1 through 4, the first part of the Gospel of Matthew, the Christmas story. You've got John the Baptist. He baptizes Jesus. It's the whole thing. The dove comes down out of heaven. And then you've got the temptation in the wilderness. You've got Jesus. He meets Peter and Andrew brothers. He meets James and John brothers. He calls them to leave their nets and follow him and be disciples. So that's the introduction, Matthew 1 through 4. Then there's this verse. It's, let's call it a transition verse, okay? It's chapter 4, verse 23. And here's what I want you to understand. Chapter 4, verse 23 is literally identical to chapter 9, verse 35. You can see it on the screen. The underlined portions are the identical pieces. So, so it's a transition verse from the introduction to the second section, Matthew 5 through 9. What happens in Matthew 5 through 9? Let me tell you. The Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' famous sermon, chapters 5 through 7, the Beatitudes, blessed are those who are persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know, this famous material, the Sermon on the Mount. And then in chapters 8 and 9, again, we're in 5 through 9 right here. In chapters 8 through 9 are the healings of Jesus. There are 10 miracles there. You can look at it later. There are 10 miracles there. He's calming the storm. He's healing blind men. He's doing a bunch of casting out of demons. Jesus is showing his divine power. So his teaching and then his divine power. So at the end of chapter 9 comes verse 35. And it's exactly like chapter 4, verse 23. So these two verses, they really do serve as bookends as lines on the field. It's literally as if Matthew, it's not as if, he is making something really clear to us. It's like bookends. It's like when we say something like from the East Coast to the West Coast, or when we say something like from A to Z, 
or from Genesis to Revelation, or from the first to the last, what we're doing is we're saying, from this starting point to this identical ending point, it's the same. Everything is about that. That's what Matthew's doing. Why do I say that? Because in chapter 10, Jesus is going to send the disciples out on their own mission. So what's happening in chapter 9, verse 35, hopefully you see it by now. Jesus is teaching them about his mission. And he is making sure that they understand it and that they aim for it before he sends them out to do it. And as Matthew writes to the early church with the gospel of Matthew, and as we are here reading it this morning, it is unmistakable that there is literary intentionality telling us that we need to understand the ministry of Jesus and aim for it with our lives. Jesus' strategy here, show them, chapters five through nine. Tell them what you showed them, those two verses. Then empower and send them. Do you see that? Maybe you've been to a restaurant before. Here, let's, just, let's just break it down into our lives. You've been to a restaurant before and the server comes up to you and she's like, hello. It could be a guy or a girl, it doesn't matter. Hello, my name's Caleb, your server today. And this is Barry. He's in training. Barry's standing behind Caleb, all quiet, like just kind of like, I'm learning. Have you ever had that experience? Anybody? Yeah. And you're like, all right, you're kind of like, okay, cool. We got a two for one. Like, what, what can Barry do? Like, what is he authorized to do? Can he refill my water? She's not gonna leave him, leave us with him, is she? You know, it's like he's in training. Barry's in training. The disciples are in training. Jesus is showing them his ministry. He's telling them what he just showed them with these bookend verses. And in chapter 10, right after the passage we're studying, he's going to send them into ministry. And it's instructive to us that we see what's happening here because it's for us too. We must understand and we must aim for the ministry of Jesus as followers of Jesus. So what do we see? I mean, if we really were to break down verse 35, we see the threefold ministry of Jesus, teaching, proclaiming, and healing. It's so clear. It's right there in front of us. And first we see that he was teaching in their synagogues. He was going to the religious institution of his day. He was not dismissive of it, forsaking of it. He would go there first. He would start with that common ground that he had with them and he would teach them. After all, he is the Messiah that their scriptures, the Old Testament, spoke about. He would teach them. He was teaching. He was proclaiming. Do you see it there? It says he was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. This is different from teaching. He was heralding, proclaiming the gospel, literally the good news, the wonderful news. He was heralding the wonderful news. One of my children had the opportunity to help with announcements at their school. Every morning, helping with announcements. Their fellow students hear them giving the announcements. I'm doing announcements. Guess what? That doesn't make you a teacher. Announcing something is different than teaching, right? You're heralding. You're announcing. Jesus had a threefold ministry, teaching, announcing the wonderful news that the kingdom is at hand, that he is the king and he has come. 
He's announcing not good advice, right? Amen. He's announcing good news. Good advice says, here's how to live. Here's some things to do. Here's how to make God happy. That's good advice. Great. Thanks for the good advice. I can't live up to it. What am I going to do with that? Good news is, hey, Jesus has died for your sins on the cross. You can stop pretending and performing and hustling and hurting. You can come to him and have rest for your weary soul. The victory has been won. The battle is over. Jesus is triumphant. That's good news. So teaching, proclaiming. What's the third thing? The threefold ministry of Jesus. The third thing here, do you see it? Healing every disease and every affliction. And so Jesus had this ministry of word and deed, of proclaiming and demonstrating. A ministry of message and mission. The verb here for healing is, let let, let me just read it to you in the Greek, therapuo, from which we get the word what? You know, therapy. It suggests the therapeutic dimension of Jesus' healing work. Workers will seek to relieve every human misery they encounter. What the word every is used, how many times in the sentence? Twice. Every need. The merciful heart of Jesus in his disciples, aiming for the ministry of Jesus, but first understanding it. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Step one, understand and aim for the ministry of Jesus. Step two, take up the perspective and heart of Jesus. This is very important. It is not the will of God that we just be the hands and feet of Jesus. We must also see with the eyes of Jesus and have the heart of Christ. Let me, let me do a little exercise here with verse 36. I think it's helpful. Imagine we were allowed to remove part of these verses. We're not allowed to, but let's just imagine for a second. If it read like this, okay? If it read like this, and I'm not going to add anything, I'm just removing something. So Jesus was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction, He saw the crowds, verse 37, he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. What if it read like that? Be honest. Would you even know something was missing? Maybe not. What do we gain from what is included in verse 36? Do you know? What do we gain? I'll tell you. We gain the perspective in the heart of Christ. It's one of, it's one of the beautiful things about scripture. It's not just history. It's also the Holy Spirit inspiring the gospel writer and sharing with us not just what had happened, but what Jesus was really feeling when it happened. We don't just see that Jesus wants laborers for the harvest. We see that Jesus wants to share with us what his heart is about the crowds such that we might emulate that as we then seek to be laborers toward the harvest. So let's look at the real verse 36, not with taking anything out of it. When he saw the crowds, what what, what do you see there? He had compassion for them. This is the response 
of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to seeing these crowds. I'll show you some pictures of crowds because I want us to think about how God sees the crowds. Maybe just a blurry crowd. Maybe that's what Jesus saw. Maybe he needed glasses. I don't know. Or maybe the mourning queen uh, crowd, right? People mourning the death of the queen recently. I grabbed this and you can see that crowd and you think, what do you see when you see that? Well, what does Jesus see when he sees the crowds? Or maybe a political rally in our country from 2020. What, what, What we see, what do we see? What does Jesus see when he sees the crowds? Or maybe a march, lots of crowded marches in our city in the past few years. And when you see these images, and we live in such a visual culture, when you see these images, what feelings and thoughts come to your mind? And just think, what does Jesus feel? Or maybe parades where people are marching for other social justice issues, and you see the crowd, and maybe you have a certain feeling, but what does Jesus feel when he sees the crowds? Maybe you've been in a crowd or seen crowds just even in our own city, like the student section at a football game. What does Jesus see when he sees the crowds? And verse 36 is a reminder to us that we're not just to see that the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few and understand that, yeah, we should try to get some laborers to go to the harvest. No, God wants us to see his heart for the crowds. And anything we do toward ministry, toward helping people, needs to come from the heart of Christ. Dale Frederick Bruner says it this way, mission is not motivated by Jesus' disgust for people because they are such sinners, nor even by an imperial sense that he has a right to people, which properly understood he has. Mission is motivated by the more appealing fact of Jesus' compassion for hapless people. He wants us to have his eyes. He wants us to have his heart. He wants us to take up his perspective. He had compassion. That word literally means to feel in viscera. It means that he saw the crowds. First of all, hello, he saw them. Oftentimes when we see a crowd or we see people, we see them as scenery. Jesus saw them. Or we see people in our lives as machinery or as a commodity, a means to an end, or as something blocking you getting to your end. Jesus saw their needs. Jesus saw them as ministry, as people made in the image of God with intrinsic value, with potential, that he died on the cross for them, that they might know him. That's what Jesus saw. Ministry starts with a burden. Nehemiah was burdened for Jerusalem, and so he went into ministry. Paul was burdened for all the misplaced and false worship to other gods in Athens, and it says he was pierced deeply within, and so he went and he started proclaiming about Jesus. Jesus saw the crowds, and he had compassion for them because they were harassed 
and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Harassed and helpless literally could could be translated mangled and cast down. They were barely making it, these crowds. Their shepherds had failed them. They were as sheep without a shepherd. It's interesting, this phrase, I'd heard it before. I'd heard this phrase before, sheep without a shepherd, I had. But I wondered, is it, is it in other places in the Bible? And this past week, I found it. In Numbers chapter 27, when Moses realized that he wasn't going to go into the promised land with the people of God in the Old Testament, and he's burdened about that because he understands from having led God's people that they need leadership. And he's praying. And he says in verse 16, let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep without a shepherd. So the Lord said, take Joshua, literally Yeshua, Jesus. It's the same word, actually. It's amazing. Take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the spirit, and lay your hands on him. We're talking about taking up the perspective and heart of Jesus. Do you see Jesus' perspective here? Do you see it? I'm, I'm asking you, do you see it? He has the perspective of compassion. He has the perspective of a shepherd. We all have a perspective, right? You Maybe we'll watch football this weekend. Maybe you have had experience playing and you have the perspective of a player. Maybe you have experience coaching and you will watch it through the perspective of a coach. And you'll, be, you'll watch and you'll be like, what's wrong with them? They need, co- they need better coaching. They need better coaching. Or maybe you will be out at the big fall kickoff and you will see some kids running around like crazy and they'll do something that you think you, know, you wouldn't let your kids do and you will look at that situation through the perspective of a dad. That's a dad issue right there. I'm going to tell you right now. I, I, if, you know what I'm saying? Or you will look at it through the perspective of a mom. Oh, I just wish I could just mother them. They need mothering. That's a perspective. What is Jesus' perspective? The perspective of a shepherd. When he sees the crowds, he has compassion. He sees them as harassed and helpless, mangled and trampled down. He sees them as barely making it. He sees them and he says, they're like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus is a teacher. He's a proclaimer. He's a healer. He's the good shepherd. He came to seek and save the lost sheep. He leaves the 99 for the one. He lays down his life on the cross of Calvary for his sheep. His sheep know his voice and he leads them beside still waters and green pastures. He guards his flock. Jesus is a shepherd. And this point that we're looking at right here is a reminder to all of us that he sees you. He sees you. And he has compassion for you and wants so deeply to be your shepherd. 
and to lead you. And he wants us to take up his perspective and heart toward others like that too. Oh, that we might see the crowds of our day as Jesus saw the crowds of his day. Understand and aim for the ministry of Jesus. Take up the perspective and heart of Jesus. And now third, our final point, pray earnestly to see the power of Jesus in raising up laborers. Look at verse 37. It says, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. By the way, that's a key to good sermon titles. Um, it's very creative, you know. Just take it right out of the, right out of the passage. Um, so look at this. Look at this verse, verse 37, right? He says, to his disciples, just note this, just make a note of this. Jesus is talking to his disciples about his heart for the crowd. And just understand and be reminded by this, that any discipleship efforts must include a heart to reach others. The harvest is plentiful, he says. What do you take from that? Here's what I take from that. Jesus sees these crowds and he sees them as an excited farmer sees a harvest. He sees their need and he sees their wonderful potential. He doesn't just see a nuisance, an annoyance, an interruption, a crowd of people with views that threaten him. He sees a harvest as an excited farmer wakes up to see a harvest. Verse 38, therefore pray. Here's the action step. Jesus says, therefore pray earnestly. Not just pray, right? It says pray earnestly or fervently to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Let's talk about this for a second. I think it would be kind of weird if Jesus, he's standing there, his disciples are standing there, they're looking at some crowd. I think it would be kind of weird if he's like, guys, see those crowds? I really want to reach them. But we're going to do something really awkward right now. I need you guys to pray to the Lord of the harvest. That's me, all right? Jesus, he's like, that's me. Right now, I want to reach those crowds, but before we do, you need to pray to the Lord of the harvest. Like, no, that would be so weird and awkward. What is he doing? He's not just thinking about that moment. He's looking beyond that moment to all of the moments that will happen in the future when he's no longer there. He's looking to the crowds of the world, to the crowds of our day, to the crowds that these disciples will face in the book of Acts. And he's telling them what to do when he's not there. You know, Jesus never left Palestine. And yet his mission was to reach the whole world with his good news. There's a show, and I'm not promoting it. It's very important I say that. But it is starring Todd Groff. No, I'm just kidding, but you'll see the picture. Uh, It's a show called Money Heist. And in this show, they're trying to rob the Bank of Spain. And uh, literally for years before they actually commit their crime, They're holed up in a classroom, and they have a model of the Bank of Spain. And this guy named the Professor has a chalkboard, and he's going over and over and over what they need to do when they're actually doing this robbery 
and he will not be with them. It's very similar what's going on here with Jesus. He is saying to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to me, to Jesus, to the Lord of the harvest, to send out laborers into his harvest. I want to show you something about the word send out. This is a word we should pay close attention to, a word or a phrase. It's used 25 times in the Gospel of Matthew. Let me just tell you something about this word. It's used 12 of those 25 times to refer to casting a demon out. Okay, it's also used to refer to remove the log out of your eye before you try to remove the speck out of someone else's eye, right? It's used when Jesus cast people out of the temple, right? This word, it has to do with removing something from where it shouldn't be and sending it where it's supposed to be. Do you get what I'm saying? It's a really important word, actually. Jesus doesn't say recruit laborers. He doesn't say encourage them. I mean, we should. He says perform an exorcism. (laughs) He says, he uses the word cast them out. What do we learn from this? Think about it. If you had a splinter, And it was hurting you really bad. And you went up to your friend. You're like, can you help me get this splinter out? And they're like, don't worry. It will naturally work its way out. No. I need you to get some tweezers and cast it out. Right? Or if you had a demon. Can I get some prayer? Can I get some prayer? Maybe you can help get this demon out of my life. I'm just saying. Like, that could happen. Sorry, we we don't really do that ministry. We just encourage you to wait. It'll pass. No. Jesus uses the same vocabulary term when referring to laborers and the need that they have to go out into the plentiful harvest. Here's the point. When it comes to laboring on mission for Christ, hear this. Laborers do not often naturally go out there. It is human nature. Are you human? It is your nature to become fearful, busy, timid, inward-focused, and silent as followers of Jesus. We need to be cast out. But only by the power of God can it be done. Disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest the chief harvester, the one who's actually in charge of the laborers, pray to him that he would go to that corner of the field where all the laborers are hiding and cast them out to go do the work of the harvest. That's the meaning of the verse. It's interesting. Remember, I told you in chapter 9, verse 33, right before these verses, the last miracle that Jesus did before these verses is he cast a demon out of a man who had made him mute. And I feel that that is relevant. Jesus does not say the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So hire staff and motivate them with money. 
He does not say, give them a guilt trip until they submit to serve, because at least we'll get it done. He does not say, just settle in and be okay with a few laborers and mediocre results. He says, be moved by the great need around us. Be burdened by the great need for laborers to advance the cause of Christ and pray to the Lord of the harvest to do what only he can do, which is supernaturally raise up and send out laborers. That's the action step. William Barclay in his book on Matthew shares this story, and it's too good not to share. Martin Luther had a friend who felt about the Christian faith as he did. The friend was also a monk. They came to an agreement. Luther would go down into the dust and the heat of the battle for the reformation in the world. And the friend would stay in the monastery and uphold Luther's hands in prayer. So they began. And they began that way. Then one night the friend had a dream. He saw a vast field of corn as big as the world. And one solitary man was seeking to reap it. An impossible and heartbreaking task. Then he caught a glimpse in his dream of the reaper's face. And the reaper was Martin Luther, his friend. And Luther's friend saw the truth in a flash. He said, I must leave my prayers and get to work. So he left his pious solitude and went down to the world to labor in the harvest. I share this story because it's good, but let's not allow this story to minimize prayer and undo our point. It's because this guy was praying that Jesus gave him this dream. And the only reason he got a dream is because only Jesus can give him a dream. And the power of Jesus is what sent him out as a laborer into the harvest. Let's ask God to do the same thing in our day. House of prayer. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. As a recap, I just want to ask the team to come back up and we're going to sing and pray. But we saw first this morning that we must understand and aim for the ministry of Jesus, which is what? Do you remember? Teaching, proclaiming, and healing. That we must take up the perspective and heart of Jesus, which is what? Compassion. And that we must pray earnestly to see the power of Jesus in raising up laborers. And so I want to take a moment and pray together as we go into this next song. Let's just take 60 seconds as a church gathered today and just have some time for prayer. And so I will lead us in this time. I'll give some prompts, uh, but you can just bow your head, close your eyes. I just want to invite you to pray, to do exactly what Jesus just said, to earnestly pray to the Lord of the harvest.